Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love, and right now is no exception. We've heard you listeners and know you're counting on us to keep the baking conversation going strong, even in uncertain times. So that's what we intend to do. Today, we're kicking off a suggestion from our listener about Roaring Twenties, with four weeks of sweets popularized 100 years ago, including, believe it or not, our first bake-along, Copycat Girl Scout Cookies. And we'll have a heartfelt roundup of listeners' favorite bakes from their mothers, grandmothers, aunts, and other important women in their kitchens. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, you just mentioned our first bake-along of our Roaring Twenties month is going to be a copycat Girl Scout cookie, but I think you might have a Girl Scout cookie update of your own. I do. I do have an update. I have been fairly good about resisting the allure of Girl Scout cookies over the last couple of years because what I determined is most important in keeping me from eating entire boxes of Girl Scout cookies is to not bring them into the house. Yeah, that's true of most things like that. Just don't have them in the first place. (laughs) Well, then I went to visit my brother and sister-in-law, and I was there for about a month. And my brother apparently works with the dad of a Girl Scout. And so lo and behold, in the bottom of their pantry, there was about 20 bags of Girl Scout (laughs) cookies. And this is where I discovered the new lemon cookies. At least they were new to me. I haven't had these before. Mm -hmm. They were called Lemon Ups, I believe. Oh, that's cute. And they're circles. Uh, They're basically like a sugar cookie but with lemon flavor and with some lemon Mm -hmm. icing on top. So I absolutely love those. Just fell in love with them. And I got back home to Olympia and I saw one last plea from my (gasps) friend Christy asking if – Anyone still needed Girl Scout cookies that her daughter still needed a few more to fulfill her goal. So I just felt I had to do my part. And Mm -hmm. I went ahead Mm -hmm. and ordered 10 bags. So I got four of the lemon cookies. I got three boxes of Samoas. And I got three boxes of Thin Mints. And that was about mm, a week and a half ago. And would you like to know what's left? Oh, is there any Thin Mints left in your freezer? There's one box of Thin Mints left in my freezer, and I think there are two bags of the lemonade cookies still in my pantry because it turns out that in my family, I am the big fan of the lemon cookies, whereas my husband and my daughter, they're sticking with our classics, the Thin Mints and the Samoas. So Yeah, okay. It definitely holds true that if you bring Girl Scout cookies into your home, they will be consumed. I can confirm that. I just had two thoughts. Okay. One is about the lemon ups, which are great. And you guys know that Girl Scout cookies really aren't a thing here in the UK. So I've just been without them for these years. Do you remember there was a boxed cookie and I think they were called lemon coolers. Have you ever had that? No. And it was like a powdered sugar Nilla wafer is what it looked like, but it tasted very intensely lemony. And it had that weird kitchen chemistry, food chemistry thing going on that was very 80s in which your mouth would like get cold as you ate it. 
Ooh, that sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> sounds like pretty dangerous and toxic when you like say it out loud. But I remember those cookies and they were very powdery and really intensely lemony. So maybe they've kind of fixed that. They didn't chill your mouth when you ate them, did they? They did not chill my mouth, although who knows, maybe I was eating them so quickly (laughs) I didn't have that opportunity. I love it that a company that's been around for over 100 years is still innovating. Way to go, Girl Scouts. And you know, another thought I had about those lemon cookies is what if you crushed them up to make like a pie crust or a lemon bar base, like a graham cracker crust? Mm, That might be good too. The other way that they're really great is if you take some toasted coconut gelato and sandwich them between the two cookies. I mean, they're literally the perfect size for an ice cream sandwich. And they're perfectly round. And you put that ice cream between them and then you kind of smash it together. The other thought I had when listening to your story is a flashing back to 20 years ago this year when we met. And we were working in a large law firm in Seattle. And at Girl Scout time, there was this attorney who would come around. And she was very much, I would say, like behind the scenes. She wasn't like a big personality the rest of the year. But Mm -hmm. she would literally have a palette, like a professional size palette of her kids' Girl Scout cookies that she had sold. And she would wind her way through the halls delivering them. I mean, there must have been like a tons, a metric ton worth of cookies. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And it activated some of my childhood anxiety. I was a Girl Scout and I did sell Girl Scout cookies. And I was so jealous of the girls who had parents that worked in a regular office and they could hawk their cookies for them Mm -hmm. because my parents owned their own business and they didn't really have the opportunity. They didn't have a physical location. They were always driving to their clients so they couldn't sell my Girl Scout cookies for me. So my mom used to just drop me off in front of a neighborhood with my little red wagon stacked full of Girl Scout cookies and I would go door to door knocking on strangers doors trying to sell my Girl Scout cookies And my big secret for success is I always found that I would do it on Super Bowl Sunday because people were in their homes and watching TV and probably drinking and so throwing (laughs) caution to the wind. And, you know, they just felt sorry for me and would buy those up. So that worked well in Louisiana where Girl Scout cookie season coincided with the Super Bowl. That's really smart. So Girl Scouts, (laughs) if you're listening, try that next year. Right. (laughs) Well, Andrea, this month is so much fun. We are kicking off May with a theme that was suggested by listener Josh, I think it was, when we were putting a call out to our listeners for 20 for 20 baking resolutions. And this one came up. It was to do a whole theme month of desserts from the Roaring Twenties, the first 1920s, of course. So we have Josh to thank for that. And we also have him to thank for this kind of adjacent 20 for 20, which is to do a copycat Girl Scout cookie. Of course, we were thrilled to discover that Girl Scout cookies came into being in the 1920s, handily ticking off both of those resolutions for us in one go. Listener Josh definitely deserves a senior producer credit on this one because (laughs) he came up with, I think, maybe even 20 suggestions for our 20 for 20. And we had to restrict ourselves just so we Mm -hmm. didn't just take his list and do it wholesale. But I'm super excited about the Roaring Twenties Month. And I am super excited about making these copycats because, of course, prior to my discovery of the lemonade cookie, the Samoas were always my favorite. That combination of caramel, chocolate, and coconut is... Is a perfect trifecta for me. 
And Andrea, we are taking a little bit of poetic license here by diving into our copycat of the Samoa. The Samoa technically didn't come around until a little bit later into the 20th century, more like the 1970s, I think. The actual first Girl Scout cookie that was created in the 1920s was the trefoil, trefoil, oh, yeah, which is the, the shortbread. The shortbread cookie. Right. And now, I always called that one the four-leaf clover cookie or the Lucky Charm cookie. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, lots of our listeners have experience and are very well-versed in a shortbread, so we thought that they wouldn't mind tackling this other very popular cookie the Samoa. Now, Josh had also pined for his beloved strawberry pinatas. Yes, which I had never heard of. No, we had never heard of that. Josh, I want you to know we looked really vigorously for a good copycat recipe for this (laughs) strawberry pinata. We found two and they were just not kind of up to our standards. So if you have one, Josh, you should share it with our listeners this month. That would tie in really nicely. So we are very excited to kick off with these Samoa cookie bars from Life, Love, and Sugar. And that is blogger Lindsay. And Stefan, you used her recipe back in episode 51 when you made her Boston cream pie cupcakes. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh. Now that you say that, it is flooding back to me. I love Boston cream pie. And that was one of our anniversary months. We each took a separate cupcake to celebrate. And those Boston cream pie cupcakes were filled with the Boston cream and then had ganache on top. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So excited to be doing another one of her recipes. Yeah. It looks really good. The cookie ingredients are pretty straightforward. You've got a cup of flour, a quarter cup of sugar, six tablespoons of butter, a quarter teaspoon of vanilla extract, and a teaspoon of water if you need it. Yeah, and then the topping is two cups of coconut, two tablespoons of water, two tablespoons of butter, 25 craft caramels, and nine ounces of semi-sweet chocolate chips. Andrea, any guess what's going to be tricky for me on this one? Well, I know you always have trouble sourcing semi-sweet chocolate chips. But I do have a bag from you, the Equal Exchange chocolate chips, (gasps) and I'm going to bust them open for these. Very excited. Then I'm going to guess it's those Kraft Caramels. So I was all prepared to buy the Kraft Caramels at the American Food Store, but in light of everything else that's going on in the world, the American Food Store is not open, and so I can Mm. see them through the window. (laughs) I can't get at them. Darn it. So, Andrea, what do you think about me using a canned caramel? This is for a topping. In the instructions, what you are doing is melting those caramels down. And I think maybe a canned caramel would work and kind of skip that melty step. I don't know. What do you think there? I think that will work fine. And I am not going to be running to the store for craft caramels either. So okay. I have those caramel bits Did you use those? We talked about them, I think, a year or two ago. A couple of our listeners, I think, found those. They're by Kraft, and basically it saves you the work of having to remove all the wrappers. They're in sort of a little pellet size. They're almost like a big tapioca size. Oh, my gosh. No, this must be a uniquely American product because that's nothing I've seen. And, And, in fact, it must have come out after I'd already left the States. So, oh, my gosh, how exciting. Yeah, it did. I saw it when I think I made an oatmeal cookie that had these in them, and I absolutely loved it. And I think listener Anne that we interviewed back on episode 11, for some reason, I'm thinking listener Anne knew of these or told me about these or made something delicious with these. Anyway, I have a stash of them. So I think I'm going to go ahead and use those instead of getting the individual caramels and having to unwrap every single one of them. 
You know, this is one of those places that I just am always struck anew by the differences. You know, I'm sure British people would love craft caramels. Why yeah. they haven't caught on here, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> Stefan, my other question on the ingredients is the two cups of coconut. What are you thinking there? A sweetened flake coconut, unsweetened desiccated coconut. What are you going to do? Yeah, I still have a goodly amount of my coconut stash that loyal listener Carolyn brought me. So I am really excited to use that. And it is a sweetened flake coconut. Um, I think that fits with this cookie and the other ingredients really nicely. That's what I've got. So that's what I'm using. Yeah, I think I'll use that as well. You are toasting your coconut. And I just want to put out a reminder to everyone, do not walk away from it while you're doing that. It can burn so quickly. And I know everyone's watching their ingredients so carefully. I don't want that to happen to anyone. And, you know, I would just like to say, too, that toasting that coconut is listed as step six, but I would do it as step one because then you can have it done and then you have to cool it anyway. So then it can be cooling while you're getting on with the rest of your cookie ingredients And those are all done in a 9 by 9 pan that you're going to line with parchment. Fairly easy cookie ingredients here, flour, sugar, butter, vanilla, and water, mixing it slowly till it forms a ball. She says you can also use a food processor, so if you'd rather do that, please do. And then you are pressing those ingredients into the bottom of the pan and baking for about 15 minutes, setting it aside to cool completely while you get on with the luscious coconut topping. And then after you've got your base pressed into your pan, you are taking your water, butter, and caramels in a pot and allowing those to melt together. You're going to add in about a cup and a half of that toasted coconut into that mixture, and then you're going to spread that mixture evenly over your base. Just reading this recipe makes me really, really want this right now. I know. (laughs) I know. I think... I'm going to hang up from recording and just go make it. Just right now. (laughs) There's no reason to wait. Just all the words you get to say. Shortbread, Mm -hmm. coconut, caramel, chocolate, chips. Yeah, so I will just be skipping that melting step there and and using my canned caramel. It is a little bit runnier texture, so I may have to think about how and – I may have to think about how to thicken that up or maybe just use less of it. It will be an experiment, that's for sure. Or don't do the water. Yeah, I, I just thought I would not put anything in the pan or do any of that mm-hmm. because it's it's liquidy enough to not have to heat it or melt it or anything. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it'll it'll be a it'll be a kitchen experiment for me this yeah. with this recipe. Once that caramel layer has completely cooled, you're gonna go ahead and remove it from the pan and cut it into sixteen bars or I don't know, I think nine bars in a nine by nine works really well as well. Works for me. Then you're going to melt those chocolate chips. Of course, it's in a microwave in these instructions, but I'll probably just use my double boiler on the stove. And then you're going to dip the bottom of each bar into that melted chocolate. You don't want it to be a really thick layer, just this light coating. And then you'll go ahead and put those on some paper to go ahead and dry. Then melt your final remaining little bit of chocolate and drizzle it over the top. These are really pretty. Yes. Uh, Her picture that accompanies this recipe with that that nice toasted shortbread base and then the caramely coconut layer and then that nice drizzle of chocolate at the end. I think nine is going to be really great. I'm going to encourage you as your final step to ignore that big nutrition facts box and just enjoy, (laughs) enjoy, enjoy making these and eating these. I already threw that particular page into my recycle bin. Right on. Exactly. That's why I do the podcast with you. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't need that nutrition info. 
Well, remember, we'll have a link to this recipe, which is the Copycat Samoa Cookie Bars from Lindsay at Life, Love, and Sugar. We will put that in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 175, up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as link to it in our Facebook listeners group. Stefan, you and I love nothing more than putting out a call for listener favorites. And a few months ago, we put one out for favorite bakes from listeners' mothers, grandmothers, aunts, stepmoms, mothers-in-law, basically any important women in our listeners' lives and their kitchens. I know, and it was just in time for Mother's Day. It's like we planned it. (laughs) Yeah, we always get such a heartfelt response from our listeners who are so generous with their memories and recipes. And we got a huge response this time, running the gamut from cookies to pies to a few we'd never heard of. So let's jump right in. Listener Jen says her mother has been making magic cookie bars her entire life. She makes them for all sorts of occasions or if she's just feeling like making something that will make her family happy. Jen says it was always the best when her mom let them eat the scraps left in the pan after cutting them into squares. Now, Jen says she's wised up and keeps those scraps all to herself. (laughs) See, there are benefits to being an adult, right? <laughs> Listener Nate Alyssa says their maternal grandmother makes Lebkuchen, a German cookie that translates to English as love cookie, Aww. and hopes to learn to make the cookies themselves one day. Listener Anna, who I believe also did that post about her generational stand mixer a few years ago, yes, shared that her grandma made the most amazing gingerbread cookies adapted from a King Arthur flour recipe. She'd make them every Christmas, but she'd also mail Anna special boxes in college for various holidays and occasions. Sadly, Anna's grandma passed away last fall, but Anna made about 200 of her gingerbread cookies and flew them out for her memorial service. She says that everyone who knew her grandma enjoyed those cookies at some point, and it was really special to be able to continue to share those cookies in her memory. I so love the idea of having her special cookies at her memorial. That is such a powerful and heartfelt tribute. I do too. Listener Heather included a picture of her grandma's handwritten recipe for Grandma Betty's apple pie. Betty's been gone over 20 years now, but Heather says there is not a Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner that one of her daughters-in-law or granddaughters doesn't make it. And now we know why whenever we ask for listeners' favorite pies, Heather always answers apple. Listener Sarah had a sweet memory of snickerdoodles from her grandmother and mom and said it was the first thing she remembers baking with her mom. She said her favorite part was rolling the dough balls in the cinnamon sugar and that they're still one of her favorite cookies to make. Another reason we love doing these roundups so much is that we always learn about a new treat or two. In addition to making pound cake and pecan pie, listener Rachel told us that at Christmas time, her grandmother would make Christmas rocks, which is like a fruitcake cookie, and Martha Washington candy. And that's a coconut ball covered in chocolate. And both of those were new to us. And Andrea, since learning of them, I would be happy to add either one to my holiday rotation. Yep. Listener Trisha says our post inspired her to dig out an old favorite recipe of her mom's called chocolate pudding dessert, which she'd make for friends, family, church potlucks, basically any kind of crowd, and it was one of Trisha's favorites. Two oldies but goodies next from listener Josh, who says his grandma and mom swear by Betty Crocker recipes, specifically blueberry cobbler and luscious lemon bars. Speaking of classics, our second listener, Rachel, posted a handwritten recipe for her grandma's molasses bars and says she made them recently and they were just as good as she remembered. 
And listener LaWolf says mace muffins from the Family Farmer Cookbook are so simple and so delicious. Listener Kim shared a sweet memory of her great-grandmother, whom she called Geesey Bubby. Geesey Bubby was quite a baker, whose rugelach and strudel Kim remembers fondly. Geesey Bubby was an old-school baker, who measured in pinches and handfuls and adding enough until the dough is right. Kim says that though her aunt and uncle videotaped her great-grandma baking in the 1980s in order to transcribe her recipes, no one in the family makes her specialties quite like her. Listener Ruth in Florida included a text with her husband's grandmother Pat's TNT chocolate cake recipe. Stefan, how much do we love a recipe that fits on a text? (laughs) So much. (laughs) Ruth says her favorite way to make it is in a bunt or mini bunts, but it's delicious in any shape, as well as cold or room temperature. Ruth's experimented a bit and has done a cheesecake filling in the bunt, which she says was awesome. And for Christmas, she adds a little peppermint extract to the batter and tops it with a peppermint glaze. Family recipes are great, but family variations can be even better. And speaking of versatile recipes, listener Bridget says her grandmother had a family recipe for a black pepper, orange, and walnut biscotti dipped in chocolate. Bridget and her mom make it all the time, and bonus, it freezes super well. In fact, Bridget thinks it actually tastes better when frozen. You know how I love a cookie with black pepper. This one sounds right up my alley. Listener Kelsey says her mother makes caramel rolls from a recipe she got from her mother-in-law, Kelsey's grandma. In fact, they call them Grandma's Dough. (laughs) They feature a cheater caramel made with ice cream, brown sugar, and butter. Kelsey's mom makes them for everyone's big events or visits home, and Kelsey is quick to point out that no one in her family can replicate her mother's caramel. This reminds me of an exhibit I saw last year at the Victoria and Albert Museum here in London. It was about a study on family recipes, and the scientists pretty much proved that the atmosphere in a person's home, as well as the naturally occurring healthy bacteria on an individual's hands, really do affect how a bake or really any food turns out. So when we say, it's good, but it's not like mom used to make, it's actually true. Aww. New mom listener Melanie shared that some of her favorite childhood memories are making bread with her mom. They would knead it by hand, and the smell of bread baking would fill the house. Now that Melanie is a mother herself, she's looking forward to starting that tradition with her own little baker someday. And finally, listener Brandy shared that one of our recent bakes, the Russian tea cakes from episode 169, have a special place in her heart because her grandma always used to make them at Christmas time. Listeners, thank you so much for all of your sweet memories, family recollections, and shared recipes. What an amazing tribute in honor of these special women. And if you didn't have a chance to share your favorite memory before we recorded this episode, just drop us a note at host at preheatedpodcast.com or share a picture with us on Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning. Next week, we'll see how homemade Girl Scout cookies compared to the real deal, and introduce our second dessert, a pineapple upside-down cake made in a cast-iron skillet. Then we'll take a deep dive into the food history of the 1920s to discover why innovations in science and technology still influence the way we bake and eat today. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. 
If you like our show, please rank, review, and recommend us on your favorite platforms. Our thoughts are with you and your families and loved ones. We hope our show has provided a bit of respite when you've needed it most. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening. Be well and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Is that rugla? Am I saying that right? I don't know how to say it.